Recovery Elevator, episode 452. It definitely felt like acting. I was I was pretty much existing at that point. I wasn't living. I was just there. I was existing. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. On today's episode, we have Emily. She's 33 years old from Double Springs, Alabama, and took her last drink on February 26, 2023. Great job, Emily. I want to say what's up and thank you to all of our Cafe RE chat hosts. You guys do an incredible job. Listeners, I got a feeling that today is going to be a good day. In fact, today has already been a good day. We have had several people ask what the next year of events, retreats, and sober travel will look like. We are currently in the process of building some incredible events for the upcoming year to new locations and types of retreats we've never done before. First off, we will be doing our annual flagship retreat in Bozeman, Montana next year, and the dates are looking like August 14th to the 18th, 2024, so mark your calendars. Then we are working on an alcohol-free travel trip in October 2024, with possible destinations being India, Vietnam, or the Camino de Santiago in Spain. But even before those events, we are working on two retreats in Guanacaste, Costa Rica. If you've seen a recent series on Netflix about blue zones, Guanacaste is one of five blue zones on the planet with the highest level of centenarians or people that live to be over 100 years old. Our Costa Rica events will take place in March of 2024. One of the events is a meditation slash movement retreat for six nights, seven days, and the other is a seven-night, eight-day San Pedro retreat where we are bringing shamans from the Sacred Valley, Peru, to Costa Rica. Check the events page on the Recovery Elevator website for more info. Link is in the show notes. Thank you, Robin. And before we get any further, let's hear from a fantastic sponsor, Exact Nature. Exact Nature was founded by a father and son in addiction recovery. Exact Nature's all-natural CBD products are specially formulated to help you face the exceptional challenges of recovery, and we are so grateful to have them as our sponsor. Beat your cravings with their Detox Blend. If you are interested in learning more, head on over to exactnature.com and use the promo code RE20 to receive a 20% discount on your order. That is RE20 at exactnature.com. Okay, let's get started. You guys ready to do this? All right. So we are in the middle of our Q&A series where Chris and I answer questions from listeners. Email your questions to info at recoveryelevator.com. Today's question is from Dale. And the question is, how do you stop comparing yourself to others in recovery? Thanks for listening and great question, Dale. Let's do this. Now, this is a big picture question, an issue that probably didn't arise when you quit drinking for the first time. I'm guessing this is something you've been doing or struggling with for quite some time, maybe comparing yourself to a sibling, a friend in elementary school, or every single one of your Facebook friends. So this is normal, we all do this, but I do think if we could tame this human algorithm, our lives would be so much easier. After all, there's even an idiom we've all heard that encapsulates this perfectly. It is called, keeping up with the Joneses. And if it wasn't the damn Joneses, it would be the Smiths or the Coopers, you get the point. So to help answer this question, 
My mind immediately went to page 417 in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which has a section about acceptance as the answer to all my problems today. That passage basically says that even if you're drunk in the middle of a 10-day binge or you're on day 50 of sobriety, that acceptance has to happen now with your current life situation. Acceptance with your life situation can only happen today, not tomorrow or next week when you hit one year of sobriety. This is a radical teaching because it says, look, if you can't accept yourself as you are right now, even if you're in the depths of an alcohol addiction, then you cannot and will not accept yourself regardless of how much sobriety time you have. Another word for all of that is surrender. So how do I stop comparing myself to others in recovery? Well, part of this I think is healthy. You will want to model your sobriety after someone who seems to have done the work or might have what you want. You want to compare parts of your journey with theirs. This isn't a bad thing, but the key is to not have it consume you. How do I stop comparing myself to others in recovery? Just as it is impossible for two birds to leave a perch at the same time, no two flowers have ever bloomed at the same time, and this is by design. But try getting this message to the ego. It's nearly impossible. So I get it. When we see others excelling in their lives or recovery, yes, we are happy for them, but there's also a part of us that feels like we are getting left out or worse, failing. Maybe it's that uncomfortable physical sensation in the gut that pushes us to quit drinking or to go after our goals. Again, some of this comparison isn't all bad. How do I stop comparing myself to others in recovery? Realize that someone is comparing themselves to you. So have compassion for those who are comparing themselves to you. If you're comparing yourself to someone else, somebody is probably comparing themselves to you. Lord, help us all. How do I stop comparing myself to others in recovery? Hang on, there must be an app for this. Let me check the app store. Da, 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 da. Interesting, there is no app yet for the comparison trap. Sorry, I thought there was an app for everything. How do I stop comparing myself to others in recovery? Let's get real. What people show the world, especially via social media, is a fraction of what's really going on. We all have grown up problems, including the seemingly perfect person you're comparing yourself to on Instagram. Last October, I went on a retreat to Peru that was not in the recovery space. Now I know for me personally, I've compared myself to those who are not in recovery, and I've spun myself a tale that says those who don't grapple with an addiction don't have problems, which is not true, of course. So after just a couple days into this retreat, once we all had opportunities to share about our life circumstances, I was like, holy shit, we are all struggling here. And one commonality I heard people say on that retreat was they don't have people to turn to or to talk with. Now in this regard, I think people in recovery are ahead of the pack because we have a support group, be it an AA meeting, a cafe RE chat, a sponsor, accountability partner, you get the point. Again, I can almost certainly guarantee you that the person you are comparing yourself to has their own shitstorm of problems that you don't know about or do you want. How do I stop comparing myself to others in recovery? You can't. Don't even try. This will never be fully tamed. Welcome to the party. This is a big thorn of the human condition. We all do it as individuals and in the macro level with nations. College football programs even do this. It's called the arms race of intercollegiate athletics. When one football program builds a new $4 million weight room, the other schools in the conference are like, shit, let's get building. 
how do I stop comparing myself to others in recovery? A big part of this is your conditioning of how your life is supposed to look. As Oscar Wilde says, be yourself as everyone else is taken. Now, I do feel all pathways lead to home. You are not on the wrong path, not today, yesterday, or tomorrow. Now, you may be going through the thick of it, but know that something better is waiting for you on the other side. How do I stop comparing myself to others in recovery? For me, this personally is a hard one, more on the entrepreneurial side of things. Sometimes I get caught up on what others are doing in the sobriety space. And again, this is normal. But one of my guiding North Star principles is that I create and don't compete. Sure, it's good to know what other people are doing in this space, but at the end of the day, we are gonna walk to our own beat. Myself and the RE team, we are creating something that has never been done for in this space. And thank you for being part of it. How do I stop comparing myself to others in recovery? Again, I don't think this will ever fully be tamed, but know that when one person blooms, we all receive the benefits. Dale, thank you for listening and thank you for the question. I hope everybody enjoyed today's episode. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp, before we hear from Emily. There's a phrase in recovery that I like that says, stop shooting all over yourself. Sobriety is a windy road and a journey full of ups and downs. Sometimes we feel like we should be doing better. We have to remember that all of our thoughts are not true and that sometimes our mind gets in the way of the progress we've been making. I like going to therapy so that someone else can help me catalog my thoughts and challenge them when necessary. Sometimes it takes someone else to point out your blind spots and that is exactly what I like about my therapist. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. BetterHelp is entirely online it is designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com elevator today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash elevator. Recovery Elevator. Please help me welcome Emily to the show. Emily, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Chris. I appreciate you coming on. I'm excited to get to know you and hear a little bit about your story. But before we do that, can you let listeners know how long you've been sober? I have been sober since February 26th of 2023. Coming up on five months from the time that we're recording. How are you feeling? I feel great. I just, I feel so much better than when I was drinking. It's just an incredible feeling that's hard to describe, truthfully. Kind of crazy, like of all the like all the fears that we have as we think about getting sober, but when we can start to tangibly see and feel some of the, the benefits of of not drinking, it's, it's a pretty cool thing, quite a blessing. Right. Like a whole new world. <laughs> right? Uh, Emily, can you let listeners know a little bit about yourself, uh, where you're from, what you do for a living, age, uh, any family you want to mention, and then most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? Sure. So I am 33 years old. I live in Double Springs, Alabama, real small town right by the Bankhead National Forest. It is beautiful there. I have been a high school algebra teacher for 10 years. 
I'm married to my husband. We've been married for 10 years and we have a three-year-old daughter. My favorite thing to do for fun, let's see, I do a lot of outdoor stuff. We hunt, fish, we have a razor that we go on rides. I play piano. I like to work out. Sean T is my guy. He's my favorite. (laughs) And uh, cooking. Cooking is my absolute favorite thing to do. I didn't tell you I was going to do this, but I've got uh, six high-level algebra questions that I'm going to quiz you on real quick. Oh, Lord, let me get my fence. No, 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 that's not. Like we were talking about before we started recording, math is not my strong suit. Yeah, it sounds like outdoors is a, a big part of your life. It is, yes. Have you noticed a difference in uh, in how you're able to enjoy some of those activities in recovery? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just I don't know, being able to go outside and go do those things and not have to have a drink in my hand. Well, I do have a drink in my hand. It's sparkling water, but. (laughs) Smart. And last question before we get into your story. What is your favorite thing to cook? Do you got a signature dish? Oh, goodness. I really like to cook hibachi on my Blackstone. That's one of my things. (laughs) Do you do the tricks with the knives and the spinning and the. No, I would hurt myself. (laughs) There's no onion volcano. No, no, I'm basic. <laughs> well, in sobriety, that's something if if you felt compelled that you could aspire to. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Emily, let's do what we came here to do and uh, talk about your story and your and your journey to an alcohol-free life. Why don't you start us off at the beginning? Let us know about maybe some early exposure, first experimentation, or whatever that looked like for you, and we'll continue to walk forward. Okay. So as a child, I really wasn't exposed to alcohol. My dad, however, was addicted to narcotics in my, I would say, preteen years. And that was a really huge part of my upbringing that was tough to deal with. He went to rehab and things seemed better after that. I didn't really start drinking until 2009, which is the year after I graduated high school. I was 19, started dating a guy that led me to this new friend group. I was always the shy person growing up. You know, I never talked a lot to people. I didn't have a huge friend group. I just kept to myself and focused on my studies. And he introduced me to this new friend group and introduced me to alcohol. And I just became this whole new person. I was bubbly and fun and just a totally different version of myself. And that went on for a few months. And I would say that summer, we ended up breaking up and I started dating my now husband. And we didn't really drink a lot at the beginning when we hung out. You know, I had a dry period for about a year where I didn't drink anymore. And come 2010, I'm 20. I moved to the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa. And if you've heard anything about UA, it is a huge party school, as most colleges are. And I did partake in those activities. We went to house parties and went to bars and we would always pregame before we went to any place. So we would definitely get a good buzz going on before going somewhere. But I kept with my studies. I kept my grades up. I did what I had to do. And I would, I don't know, I always noticed that I felt like I was in competition with everyone. I wanted to be the one that could drink the most. I wanted to outdo everybody. 
And at the end of the night, I would usually be the one throwing up or passing out or it was, it was not good. It was not pretty. You mentioned, you know, before that, before when you were 19, before you started drinking, that you were, that you were shy and you had this, uh, you know, like with your first drinking experience, you kind of, you felt like you came out of your shell. Mm-hmm, very much uh, so. Was there a, a a part of that, that, you know, like going to college, it's, you know, I was, you know, I didn't go to college, but I joined the military. I think it's the same thing, right? Like we go to, we're in a new environment, a new, a new place. Do you feel like you sought out, sought that out to some extent, like that being able to drink to, to feel comfortable in in those environments as well? Yes, absolutely. I don't think I could have done it without drinking, to be honest. It, you know, they call it liquid courage and that's what it was for me at the time. Yeah. It's, I think a lot of us, it was the same story for me that, that first exposure, like I was always a shy, quiet kid and there's like these parts of me that I wanted to let out, mm-hmm. but I just, for, I think it was a lack of confidence and alcohol kind of removed those, removed those in, inhibitions and things that I wanted to say or do. Like I, did, I just didn't care if, if somebody was going to think that I was stupid or, or silly anymore. And it, yeah, liquid, I think liquid courage is a great way to explain it. And it's what's hard is for me, I felt like I was finally being, I felt like I was finally being myself. Mm-hmm. And it's and it total opposite. <laughs> yeah. And <clears throat> yeah, taking it to those next levels and right. you know, getting like getting sick or going too far, or like, you know, like you had said, like being in competition with other people, it always took me to a weird place. All right. Well, let's, let's keep going. So you're, you're in, you know, you feel yourself like wanting to do more and then you're seeing some of the consequences with, you know, being sick or blacking out. Yeah. I'm, I made some pretty dumb decisions looking back, um, put myself in some dangerous situations, I would say, but you know, I was, I was lucky. I was fortunate that, you know, nothing happened, but 2012, I was home for the summer because I was studying to be a teacher and I was at the point in my studies that we had to have clinicals with our classes and there was no school in the summer. So I would come home and I was getting ready to go to the gym. It's August, 2012. I'm getting ready and I hear a noise outside and my mom runs in the house screaming. And my basically she found my dad unresponsive in the driveway. and. I'm very calm. Shockingly, it's weird. She was hysterical. I was very calm. And I go out there with her and I tell her, I'm like, mom, you're a nurse. Start doing CPR. You know what to do. I called the paramedics and talked to them. They came very fast. Our local will fire and rescue. And basically there, there was nothing they could do. So he passed in a very traumatic way. Like it, it still gets my heart pumping to this day, just talking about it. And the next, the next few days, the whole funeral and all that, it was very much a blur. I remember a lot of family and, you know, they kept us busy and kept us company. And it was, it was great to have them there with us. Well, I had to move back to college two weeks after he passed because the classes I had to take were only offered in the fall. And I would be put a whole year behind if I didn't go. So I, I had to go. So two weeks after his death, I'm right back into, you know, studying and schoolwork. And I want to be home and I can't. And it was, it, it was bad. It was horrible. I remember I was put on 
medication to help cope with the anxiety. And I remember sometimes I would be sitting in class and I would just, I couldn't breathe. I had to just walk out and just take a minute and try and compose myself and go back into class. But I I didn't drink, I would say, for that whole next year. I think I was just zoned out of myself. I didn't want to go do anything. I didn't want to go to friends' houses. I didn't, I really didn't even want to go to class, but I did. I went anyway because I knew I had to. And then in 2013, in May, I finally graduated. And then I got married in June of 2013 and then got my first ever teaching job in August of 2013. So all this stuff just happened at one time. And I don't, I had never hoped over my father's death. And then all this stuff gets put on top of me. And I mean, it was good stuff. It was great things, things that needed to be celebrated, you know, graduation, marriage, a new job, a new career. It was great. But that first year of teaching, oh, yeah, it was terrible. It, it was really rough. And so I started this new routine where on my way home from work, I would stop by the liquor store and I would get, you know, whatever I was feeling like, you know, nothing was ever really turned down for me. I was open to anything and everything. And I would go home and I would mix a drink and I would just drink all afternoon while I cooked, while I, you know, did the things around the house. And yeah, that was my new routine. I did that for a while and it, I don't know, it was not good. Emily, I just want to acknowledge, um, like, I'm sorry that you, that you went through that. That sounds like a, I mean, it's trauma. Let's call it what it is. It sounds like an incredibly tough experience and also just recognizing like what a what a rapid turnaround to have this you know a, a devastating loss and then mm-hmm. to have to have to go back to an environment where really like you, you've got to perform uh, perform or make the decision you know like you said to to set back and when we're in that stage in our life the idea of postponing everything for a year is it, that's a, it feels like an eternity right like, like a non-option but yeah to have to go back and perform and try to pretend or or act like this like this thing just didn't happen yeah Uh, it was it definitely felt like acting I was I was pretty much existing at that point I wasn't living I was just there I was existing and I did feel like I put on a show every time I had to go to clinicals and I had to teach a lesson or go to class or it was just all for show I wasn't really into it it was just kind of a made up thing for me. Yeah. I think that does something to us too internally. We become, you know, a lot of us can be very like performative and mm-hmm. and we're showing people what what we think that they want to see or 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 what they want from us and in doing that there's there's a part of us that it's it's like we're not honoring ourselves and not like not honoring like the feelings that we might actually be having. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes we're whether it's consciously or subconsciously just proving to ourselves that somehow like these feelings, like what we're going through might not be worth the attention that, that we want to give it, but we just have Mm -hmm. to, we just have to give the world what, what it wants. Right. And that's a, that's a tough thing. And then also just, you know, acknowledging the, just the challenges that come with some of these natural 
milestones in life. You know, a marriage is you're you know, like you said, it's an amazing thing and like a a great thing to celebrate. It's also a huge transition to go from our independent life to life with a partner. There's 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 hurdles, and again, these are good good things. In case my wife listens to this, these are great things, and I'm glad that they happen. But it's it's a challenge, you know, it's a challenge, and like graduating school and getting our first, you know, our first career. These are again great things, but they come with with an array of of difficulties. And if we're holding on to you know one thing that we still haven't dealt with, and then we have you know stack a couple other big transitional moments in our life onto it. That's it's tough. It's tough. And it sounds like you found a momentary reprieve or a, a way to kind of get through some of those feelings for a time. Absolutely. That, I don't know, just the, that's what I would look forward to every day while I was at work. I would think, okay, just about three o'clock, three fifteen, I can get out of here. I can get something, go home and drink and I'll feel great. It'll be great for the evening. I'll have a good time. That's what got me through my days. And I would say that went on for probably five years. Yeah, until about 2018. And in that time, my husband also drank. And he was he was a beer guy, though. And I would drink beer, too. Like, if we ever rode the Razor, we would drink beer while we rode, which was not a great idea. But we did it anyway. <laughs> and I just, I remember we tried to set these rules for ourselves. I think both of us knew we were possibly drinking too much, but we were like, well, we're just going to drink on the weekends. And that's what we set for ourselves. So Saturday, Sunday, we would drink. And then it went on to, well, isn't Friday considered a weekend? Because once you come home from work, <laughs> it's and so then it became Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then we were like, well, you know, that stretch from Sunday to Friday, that that's a long stretch. Why don't we pick a day during the week, like Wednesday? That just feels like a good middle day. Well, cheap so we, day. Yeah. We would drink Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And it got to where we were drinking apart. We would just kind of go do our own thing. He would be outside working on something or he would go to the shop. I would be in the house doing my things and we were drinking separately. And I think that's when I started liking to drink alone. I didn't really like to go out because you had to worry about the driving aspect. And God, it's so dang expensive, you know. So so we would just drink at home and separately and do our own thing. And we basically just led separate lives there for a while. And it was just, I don't know how to describe it. It was, it was not fun. It really wasn't. It was pretty miserable, to be honest with you. So you guys actually, you know, we talk about rule setting all the time. I think that's something common in our community of people. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I had a lot of those conversations internally, you know, those setting rules and stuff. But you guys were actually like having these conversations with each other as far as let's let's create some parameters. Yes. Were there ever any moments where one or the other of you didn't, you know, stick to the stick to the plan and then had <laughs> was, was there ever any feedback, like whether it was you or him, like, hey, you know, it's not one of our days. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I would say I was the one that slipped the most. I would hide it 
and think he wouldn't notice. And of course he noticed. I mean, everyone knows. You can't hide it. And we got into several arguments over that. And I remember we both said at one point, it's like, okay, we're going to quit. We're just going to stop this madness. I think that was probably... 2017, if I had to put a year on it, I know it was somewhere towards the end, uh, getting close to 2018. Well, that it didn't last long. It, I, I think I struggled the most. I'm not sure if he really struggled. It, it was hard to tell. He, he's very much kind of a blank. You're, it's he's hard to read. But I, I remember I would try and hide it at that point so he wouldn't know I had it in the house and. He would go outside to do his yard work and I would like mix drinks and hide them in the closet mm-hmm. and I would drink them out of the closet. And yeah, it, it was not good. <laughs> I knew, I knew right then and there, if I'm having to hide it, there's an issue here. <laughs> do you, you know, you had mentioned too, that towards the end of that, end of that stretch leading up to 18, that you guys were kind of independently drinking, just, just doing your own thing. Do you think that was part of part of the appeal of that was being able to drink your way without another another set of eyes on you? Yes, because I would always mix my drinks very strong. And I feel like if anyone watched me do that, they would think, oh, my goodness, that is so much. Are you crazy? And I would have like two or three of those mixed drinks before the evening was out. You know, one was never enough. I had to have multiple I had, I drank to get drunk. I didn't drink because I liked the taste. To be honest, it's disgusting. I drank because I wanted that feeling. I wanted the escape from everything. And so that was just my way of, you know, forgetting what was going on in my mind and just being able to numb out the pain. Yeah. I relate to that. I remember in, in the early years of my marriage, um, you know, my wife had sim, you know, similar. My wife had just graduated from college. I was in the Air Force, and like that first summer, we had like some fun party times, and it was just like quote unquote, no, you know, this normal, because mm-hmm. uh, that's just you know, that's just what you do, right? And then as we got as we got older, she she grew up like like a normal human, and it was just like, oh, that's not for me. And that same sort of thing, just hiding it, and it's hard. It's Again, like we, I felt like I was lying to the person who meant the most to me and I was lying to myself and I was trying to balance all of these things. And it's just, it took a toll. Yeah, I I get that. Just trying to keep up with everything. And, you know, it feels like when you're trying to escape all of it, that it just keeps piling up to where it's more stuff that you're trying to get away from. It just keeps getting worse and worse. And, you know, I definitely, I feel that. Like you said, it just keeps piling up. I like that. It's it's cumulative. You know, when we go to pour that first drink, we're like, you know what? Like, I'm going to get a reprieve. I'm not going to have to worry about this. But it, like the shit, it doesn't go anywhere. No, absolutely not. And what? then having those, oh, God, I would always wake up at 2, 3 a.m. And I hear a bunch of people say that and just wake up in a cold sweat and just that crippling anxiety. I mean, I couldn't breathe. I had the tightness in my chest and I'm thinking, oh goodness, who did I text? What did I say to embarrass myself? You know, what what did I do? It was just, oh, it was horrible. Just the worst feeling ever. But I would, I had a break um, in 2019. It was November 1st, 2019. I found out I was pregnant 
and it, it was great. We were overjoyed. I was originally expecting twins, and one of them passed, um, I think she said it was maybe six or eight weeks in, so it was very early, but the rest of the pregnancy went well, but then March 2020, I'm sure, you know, we're all familiar with March of 2020, when COVID hit, it, it was just, if, if someone had told me, we're going to shut down everything in the in the world for months, mm-hmm. I, I would have said, no, that's not going to happen. When I got the call from school that we weren't coming back, I was shook. I thought, you're, you're kidding me, right? This is crazy. And I was kind of excited about that for a little while because I got to spend the ending part of my pregnancy off my feet. I wasn't having to teach all day long, which I stayed very active anyway, but I didn't drink my entire pregnancy. But I remember during COVID, it was especially hard because I like to go and do things. I'm not a homebody. I don't like to just sit at home. I want to be going places and you couldn't go anywhere. Nothing was open. And I, you know, I said, I like to cook. Well, I couldn't just go to the grocery store and pick and choose what I wanted to cook. It was like an episode of Chopped. What can I cook with an apple, a tuna, a few graham crackers? Like, what can I make with this? You know, there, food was scarce. You just had to get what you could and make something out of it. And that, oh, that, I hated that. Hated it. And I, I was bored a lot of times because there was nothing I could go do. We didn't take the razor out because I it's bumpy. I didn't want to do that pregnant. Still went fishing some, but then it got too hot and I was afraid I'd fall out of the boat. Uh, I was bored and I like to drink when I'm bored and I couldn't do it. So I finally had my daughter in July of 2020 and I don't go right back to drinking because I wanted to breastfeed. And I would say about five or six months in, I decided that I could have a drink and I did fine. It it went fine. Uh, as they call it, you pump and dump. So she wouldn't drink any of it. Uh, and I kind of started just picking back up like, well, I can do this. It's not affecting my supply. I can have a drink here or there. Well, here or there turned back into my old routine. You know, I'm back at work at this point. I go back. I went back in November, November 2020. And if you ever talk to a teacher and you ask them about teaching after COVID, it's like a light switch. It's totally different. I mean, it's a whole new world. Had to learn a lot of new things. So that's stressful. I'm a new mother. And so, yeah, my, my drinking started picking back up again. And I'm pretty much right back to where I was. And it, I don't know, it was hard. Because I wanted to be there for my daughter, but at the same time, I needed to escape from all my responsibilities. You know, I was still a wife. I still had a husband and a house to take care of. I had a job. Now I have this new baby girl that I have to take care of and make sure she's safe. And I just, more escaping. And I still, I'm still truthfully working on my dad's death because that, I think that trauma, I never took time to get over it because every time I would drink and I would get to, you know, I would drink to the point where I would be throwing up or I would be crying at the end of the night. And every time I was crying, 
I was always crying over him. I would always bring him up. Somehow the conversation to, would go to that day. And I would relive those moments in my mind. I could, I could physically picture myself there and seeing myself there with my mom and just reliving that experience. So that, I think the whole time, I was truthfully just trying to get away from that. I think that's a, a good testament to like what we were talking about earlier about how this stuff is, is cumulative and it doesn't like, it doesn't go away. And, mm -hmm. and it's, it's hard. Something, you know, something like that, these sudden losses are incredibly difficult to, to process. But if we don't, I mean, that it was true for me. It sounds like it was true for you. Like if we don't do like whatever that is, I think it's different for everybody, but if we don't do what it takes to work through that, like it just, it, it, it haunts us right. and it, it just perpetuates that cycle of like, just not, not going away. And we, we keep going, you know, we have this thing that like quote unquote works and we just keep going back to it. How long do you think it took you to go from like dipping your toe in the water to like being right, like right back to, to where you were uh, be, before you got pregnant? Maybe a couple months. It, it took no time to just bounce right back to where I was. It took no time at all. It feels like I was just right back there. And uh, let's see, that went on a couple. Let's see, that was 2020. So that went on about a year and a half because I, it was early 22 when I decided I needed to stop. That's when I really started looking into how to quit, what I needed to do. I didn't necessarily have a turning point. You know, a lot of people talk about this rock bottom moment. I didn't necessarily have a rock bottom moment. I, I saw what I was doing to myself. Uh, I remember one night, this memory sticks out to me. One night, I always, you know, me and my husband, we would participate in the bedtime routine for our daughter. And we would bathe her, get her ready for bed, read her a story. I remember... I was so sick from drinking, I couldn't help him put her to bed. And I was like, well, I just lost a memory that, you know, it was just one night, but still that's one night that I have lost and I'm not going to get it back. And I just thought, you know, why, why am I wasting all this time? I need to be present for her. I need to be the mother she needs. I don't you know, and I, I keep going back to my dad, but with when he was addicted to narcotics, he wasn't present. He wasn't there. And I didn't want my daughter having to live that same life that I did when I was young. And I mean, I had a great upbringing, you know, I had a great childhood, just he wasn't present all the time like my mom was. My mom was always there. And is still always there. I call her all the time. But, but anyway, it was early 2022 when I said, okay, this, I got to stop this. So I ordered a bunch of books and I read a lot of books and uh, I could string together a few days here or there, maybe a week, but I would always end up right back. And I was at the point where I didn't even enjoy drinking anymore. I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. I just, I was drinking, I guess, because I thought I wanted to. And no, I didn't. So let's see. October of 22, I reached out to a girl I follow on TikTok. I followed a lot of um, accounts that talked about sobriety. And she mentioned 
recovery elevator. And so I started this routine where on my way home from work, which was always my my trigger, that was my hard spot. I would listen to the podcast and just listen to people tell their stories would keep me from stopping at the store. I could power on through to the house. I didn't. And I would pass like six liquor stores. I mean, down here in the South, it's, I swear it's everywhere. It's at every event. I mean, liquor stores everywhere. And just listening to the podcast, I was not tempted to stop. Cause I was listening to the stories. I'm like, oh yeah, no, I don't, I don't need that this evening. Not going to do it. And so from October to February, I had my longest streak. Well, before this one, this is my now longest streak. I remember I slipped up. I kind of slack on, you know, I didn't necessarily listen every afternoon. Like I used to, I wasn't reading my books as much as I was. I slacked and I thought, well, I've had a, over a hundred days. I just had a birthday in February. I, I should celebrate. I think I can moderate now. No, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, uh, no, I was fooling myself. 100% fooling myself. So I joined Cafe RE. I have stuck with listening to the podcast every afternoon on my way home from work. I've been, I actually read the Annie Grace's 30 day alcohol challenge. And learning the science behind what happens in our bodies when we drink, that was mind-blowing. The fact that our body produces a chemical more toxic than alcohol to combat alcohol, that just blew my mind. That, I couldn't believe it. And so, you know, learning the things that were happening, I think that helped me better combat the cravings. If I ever wanted to drink, I would think, okay, well, I'm putting poison in my body, which is going to produce more poison, and I'm going to shorten my life. I'm going to end up with some kind of cancer because alcohol is one of the top carcinogens. And I just, it, you know, I did everything I could mentally to just stay on track. So I've made it since February 26th. And I think I'm on day 144, maybe 145. It's somewhere in that range. I haven't, I haven't checked my daily tracker today, but it's, it's just getting better, to be honest with you. I used to think when I was actively drinking, I would think, well, I have one life to live and I like to drink. So why would I give it up? Mm-hmm. But now that I'm on the other side of it, I think I have one life to live. Why would I waste it by drinking? Because I mean, you're totally wasting everything. You're you're only you're not even present the whole time you drink because your brain just blocks it all out. I remember reading in the book that you feel good for maybe the first 30 minutes of that first drink. And then after that, your body is trying to keep you in homeostasis. So it pulls you back down. And you can never get as high as that first drink. So you feel good for 30 minutes and then feel like crap for the next 24 hours. So, I mean, it it's a no-win situation. Yeah. I think in active addiction, there's, I don't, for me, I don't know, it was like this, not like I was doing rock star stuff, but there's this <laughs> like, like this, like rock star mentality of like, this is it. Like, I'm going to do what I want to do. And, and, mm-hmm. and this is what I want to do. And you know, like no cares in the world, but there, there were a lot of cares. There, there were so many cares. I didn't have the funds to just not give a shit. I still had to like 
do my job and and try to maintain a family and it's was so tough but it's yeah i think sobriety can feel incredibly difficult to to start facing things but there's there's a reward on the other side of that for sure oh yeah absolutely i i don't want to give this up for anything you know we've talked brought it up a couple times some of the some of those things that pile up while 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 we're drinking the things that that don't go away and alcohol allowed us to to numb out and not have to face them in your past uh in your past 5 months have there have you found that you're that you've been able to look back and reflect on on some of these things and and start to work through them um i would say yes uh the main thing i've allowed myself to just be sad if i feel sad you know, I, I'm one of those that if I have an emotion like that come up, I try and push it out. I don't want to face it. And if ever something makes me think of my dad and it makes me sad, well, now I'm just allowing myself to, to grieve. Basically, it's taken me 11 years, but I'm finally letting myself grieve. And I can't tell you how much better I feel after a good cry, <laughs> you know, and it's not a cry brought on by alcohol. It's just a real raw emotion and I'm just letting myself feel it. And then I feel better afterwards. Yeah. There's something incredibly powerful in those releases, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. It does, it's not about hiding it. It's not about pushing it down. It's not about pretending like it doesn't bother us. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we're, we're honoring ourselves and, this there's this recognition that we we deserve to to be able to process this and and it's not always this complex recipe to you know how like how do you deal with this like sometimes it's doing exactly what you just said is i'm gonna let myself feel sad and i'm just gonna (laughs) ball my eyes out and if that's if that's what it takes to get through this moment it's you know i've had some some sudden loss in my life as well and it's I I saw it like I wanted this moment like there's going to be some you know certain steps I'm going to go through and I'm just never going to feel sad again well that's it's a load of crap right these, yeah. I mean, these people are incredibly important to us like why would it that's that's never going to go away but I don't like when I allow myself to have it it doesn't it doesn't have to control me it's, I, can, mm-hmm. I can honor those feelings and and get through it yeah absolutely it just I feel like I'm being true to myself when I just allow myself to feel the emotions that, cause I mean, we have emotions for a reason. We can't be happy all the time. It's impossible. You've got to feel all those other emotions. Otherwise you're not human. You're a robot if you're happy all the time. So. Yeah. How have the relationships with your daughter and your husband evolved in the last five months? So with my daughter, uh, I love that I'm always there. But just the other evening, I'm off for summer break. And just the other evening, uh, my husband was going to be gone. And if he was going to be gone, that was always my time. Like, oh, I've got my freedom where I can drink, like you said, the way I want to. But I didn't. Instead, me and her went to town and we went and had a little dinner and had like a little girl's evening. And before, I would have chosen just to stay home so I could drink. But instead, we went and had a good little time. And I thought back on it like, wow, I wouldn't have done this before. And I don't know, just mine and her relationship, we, we do everything together. If I'm going somewhere, she's going with me. I, I rarely let her, you know, out of my sight. I want to be with her 
24-7 if I can. But with my husband, I was very honest with him. You know, I've been very transparent about this whole process. And I feel like our relationship has improved. Um, We are spending more time together, doing more things together. And it's actually quality time because we're not drinking while we are spending the time together. So that has definitely improved. Yeah, it's that's great, Emily. And I think our ability to show up for the people around us, I think it goes to another level when we're not mm-hmm. dumping that poison down our face every day. So looking forward, um, what are some of the tools that have that you feel have been most beneficial to you to help you to help you get to today? And are there any things that you're that you're looking to to maybe try out in the future or 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 dig into or you feel like you're just in a good place and you're gonna ride this for now? So uh the podcast definitely helps. Um when I go back to work next month, I'm gonna keep, you know, get that routine back going on my way home, listen to part of an episode, finish it the next day. Just I'm gonna keep doing that. Let's see. I haven't read any books in a little while. I've been reading some fantasy books here lately. So, but you know, that's kept me occupied. I would like to join some chats in the future. I've got my schedule. It's kind of hard to work around the times, but I've thought about doing one of the little, the online AA chats because we don't have anything around here. We're a tiny little town, but I will say I have drank copious amounts of LaCroix. Uh, I don't know that I've ever drank so much sparkling water, but it's like when I get home in the afternoon, as soon as I crack one of those open, I just feel this relief rush over me. I'm like, wow, that feels great. And it's just sparkling water, you know, but I mean, I I could not make it without those things. (laughs) There's magic in them cans. I love it. My son and I went to, uh, we took a trip. We live in a tiny town too. And we went, took a trip to town yesterday and we stopped by Costco and Sam's club. Cause they got, they've got different packs. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what we got to go to both. I said, Gunner, Michael, like, listen, <laughs> your dad gets this. This is my treat. So we came home yeah, with that, like four cases. I mean, it feels like a treat. It really does. And Costco. That's, that's impressive. We have a bunch of dollar generals. Yeah. <laughs> I got to drive an hour to get to a Walmart. So it's not. Oh yeah. That's bad. <laughs> we are. Uh, yeah. We are rural up here. Emily, this time has screamed by, but we are at the rapid fire round. That did go fast. <laughs> right. In 30 to 60 seconds. I'm going to ask you to answer these questions. Sister, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. What was your biggest fear as you were thinking about quitting drinking? That I wasn't going to be fun anymore. Yeah. What is a positive that you didn't expect in a life of sobriety? Oh, didn't expect that I can pretty much just pick up and go and do whenever I want, go wherever I want, because I'm able to drive. So. Who'd have thought? <laughs> what a what an easy thing. No. <laughs> I think I, I have an idea on the answer, but what is your go-to alcohol-free drink? Yeah, definitely LaCroix, sparkling water. Smart girl. Uh, Do you have a favorite flavor? I really like the black raspberry. I think it's the purple can. Mm -hmm. I that one. Uh, That's one of my favorites, too. Big, big fan of that. 
Um, sub question, go or no go? Is is coconut good? The yeah. coconut. I like coconut. Good. There's There's people, much like. <laughs> people always say the coconut LaCroix tastes like copper tone suntan lotion, but mm. I'm into oh, it. Start tasting that when I drink. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully I didn't ruin it for you. Uh, what is your favorite resource in recovery? This could be uh, a book, a program, a website, uh, a group like podcast, anything. I would say the the Recovery Elevator podcast and I love Cafe RE. I don't post very much, but I do love to read everyone's stories and it's very helpful. It's a great place, that community. Uh, what parting piece of guidance can you give to our listeners who are thinking about recovery or new to sobriety? I read somewhere, somebody said that, I think it was seven days. I don't remember the exact amount of days that it takes alcohol to get out of your system. But once you reach those days, you're just as sober as someone who has had years of sobriety because you have no alcohol in your system. So that's just motivation to keep going. Don't quit quitting. Love that. And last but certainly not least, what is your favorite you might need to ditch the booze if line? You might need to ditch the booze if you are embarrassed to keep going to the same liquor store on your way home from work because people recognize you. So you start rotating amongst the six you pass on the way home. <laughs> it might be time. Maybe that's yeah. one of the, the, is that a perk or maybe a downside of having so many liquor stores in your area? Yeah, I don't know. I'd say that's a downside for sure. <laughs> you know, what's crazy is that is just such a weird, like such a, like a weird little thing. If you think about it, right. Such a bizarre thing to, to rotate liquor store, but there are like, I did it. I, I think two interviews ago, somebody was talking like, we hear it all the time. Yeah. That's one of the weird little things that we just, if, you know, if we're, if we're a problem drinker that we have that in common. Yeah. Might be time. Emily, I just, I want to thank you for your openness and your vulnerability and your, in your time. Um, I appreciate you coming on sister. Uh, thank you for having me. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Recovery elevator. Thanks for listening. And thank you, Emily, for coming on the show. You're going to help a lot of people today. This week, I attended the Recovery Reinvented Conference here in North Dakota. It's cool to be able to go to events like this and get a little shot in the arm for my recovery. The speakers and storytellers were fired up about recovery and did a fantastic job. We heard a lot of statistics about what addiction is doing around the world. It doesn't matter where you live, what kind of job you have, or how much money you make, your race, sex, religion. Addiction is doing a number on people across the board. That being said... One speaker highlighted how access to treatment and the tools that many people use to recover aren't equally available. There are a lot of marginalized people out there and we need to do more. Recovery should be available to everyone. But there were some positives too. We heard about one study here in North Dakota that showed that the stigma around addiction is shifting. We heard from students in recovery who shared what their experience had been. We heard stories of redemption, of lives being saved, and about new programs that are designed to help those marginalized populations. As a society, we need to continue to do more. The numbers around addiction can become clinical and easy to separate ourselves from. But by doing what we're doing here, by sharing our stories, we're putting faces to those numbers.
we're helping to create a connection and hopefully inspiring some people along the way. Keep sharing, RE. Keep telling your story. Keep letting others know that they're not alone and keep that hope alive. We're the only ones that can do this, but we don't have to do it alone. I love you guys.